If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. I created a space where we can celebrate the unsung and the undervalued. A place where we focus on the many talents and influences from women within the culture. It hopes to inspire women everywhere to overcome adversity in a male-dominated world. Welcome to Women in Hip Hop. On today's show, I'll be discussing the career, impact, and influence of hip-hop's first female solo act to go platinum. Her name is DeBrat. Shante Harris, born April 14, 1974, was brought up on the west side of Chicago. Her first major breakthrough occurred in 1992 when she won the top prize in a local contest sponsored by Yo! MTV Raps. Her reward was meeting popular rap duo Criss Cross, who later introduced her to their producer, Jermaine Dupri. Her debut album, Funk the Five, was released in 1994, and that's when history was made. That album sold one million copies, making her the first female solo rap act to receive platinum status, and the second overall female rap act after Salt and Pepper. The Brat has received two Grammy nominations. She has achieved two top 10 hits on the Billboard Hot 100, one for Functified, and the other for Little Kim's Not Tonight remix, featuring fellow rap acts Left Eye, Missy Elliott, and Angie Martinez. Now that we got that quick history lesson out the way, I must say that the Brat was the first artist that made me feel seen. Watching her burst onto my TV screen made me feel like I was looking in the mirror. Growing up in a household filled with boys, I picked up this tomboyish persona that I wasn't even aware of. I mean, having seven brothers, four older and three younger, being in the midst of all that testosterone, it seemed almost inevitable for me to be a bit rough around the edges. And boy, was I. But when you're just being yourself, you're not thinking about how different you are. And you're not thinking about the perception that comes with that. You have to remember, fashion during that time in the early to mid-90s was a direct reflection of what hip-hop was wearing. So young girls wearing saggy jeans and their hats to the back was the look. You had acts like TLC, Aaliyah, Queen Latifah, MC Light, all dominating the music scene. So they were the poster childs for what the girls were mimicking in the streets. Outside of her swag and drip, the brat talents was so undeniable that it caused the world to stop and focus on a region that many weren't checking for in hip-hop. It was like she was saying, the Midwest got something to say. And being from Detroit, I loved that. We all know New York is the mecca. The South was buzzing with cats like Outkast. But during that time, the West Coast had hip-hop in a chokehold. Dr. Dre, Suge Knight, and Death Row was kicking ass and taking names. Fresh off the success of Dr. Dre's The Chronic in 1992, not even a year later, we get hit upside the head with his protege's debut album, Doggy Style, making a 19-year-old Snoop Dogg the biggest debut rapper ever, selling 803,000 copies in his first week. His braids, style of rap, cool demeanor, and love for weed resonated with what the youth was doing at that time. So when the brat came with the braids, the swag, the cool demeanor, and similar cadence and love for weed, it was almost like she was the answer to Snoop and representing for the ladies. I always felt that way. 
To this day, Snoop Dogg is my favorite male rapper. So quite naturally, the brat became my favorite female rapper because of the similarities between the two. I remember feeling a sense of relief, like finally, someone for me, for us, for the girls. All of this was confirmed when Jermaine Dupri did an interview revealing that the brat indeed was his female version of Snoop Dogg. I felt validated in my assumption that I made a long time ago when I was first introduced to the brat. It felt good to be right and spot on. Like I said, I was already a tomboy because I had so many brothers and I loved hip hop. So me mirroring the culture was natural for me. But now having the brass serve as my big sister, my style of dress went into overdrive. I wanted the multiple twist braids with the multicolored rubber bands like the brat. I wanted my jeans extra baggy and saggy and my shirts a size of two larger. That slight change of appearance was noticed by my parents. I'll never forget my parents sat me down and asked me what was going on. I remember being confused, like, what are you talking about? I'm good. I mean, they actually called me in the living room and sat me down like it was an intervention or something. Why are you dressing like that? Is that something you want to tell us? I had no clue what my parents was talking about. Then my dad hit me with it. Are you a dyke? I was shocked. That was the first time someone has ever said that to me. Although I was young, I understood what they were asking me. I thought to myself, what the hell am I doing for you to think that? I wasn't so much offended. I was confused. My dad was more aggressive with the questions. And I remember my mother interrupting him and saying, are you gay? Because if you are, it's okay. You can tell us. I just shook my head and said, no, why are you asking me this? And my dad said, well, look at the way you're dressed. I said, everyone dresses like this. Oh, no, they don't, he said. At this point, I just laughed to play off how uncomfortable I was and thought to myself, wow, Will Smith was right. Parents just don't understand. I was just a young girl embracing a culture that I felt was speaking directly to me. Hip-hop at that time was a boys' club, but it didn't matter to me because so was my household. I had two sisters that were way older than me. So I did what my brothers was doing. While my sisters were wearing heels and going to prom and going out on dates, I was shooting hoops in the backyard and playing touch football, having the time of my life. I played video games with them, jumped fences, and listened to what they were listening to. Although I was a girl, I knew the way I carried myself wasn't girly. I knew I was different. And because of that, I often felt misunderstood and alone amongst my peers of girls. Until the brat came. She dressed boyish, but had twists in her hair like I did when I was five years old wearing a little red dress. I thought, wow, here's someone that has it figured out. It doesn't feel like she has to choose to be one way or the other. From the neck down, you would think the brat was a young adolescent boy, but from the neck up, she was feminine. She was pretty with little to no makeup, a nose ring, Colorful rubber bands and barrettes in her twist braids, singing about liking boys. Yep, that's me, and I am her. Because although I never kissed a boy or explored my sexuality, I knew my parents calling me gay was something I didn't identify with. And to be honest with you, in the 90s, who would? Being called gay or a dyke had negative connotations to it. So quite naturally, any young girl that's not ready to or unsure wouldn't feel confident admitting to being one. 
back to DeBrat. After her debut album slash single, Functified, DeBrat followed up with two more singles, For All Y'all and my personal favorite, Give It To You. The video for Give It To You, B-side version, had more celebrity features than Quincy Jones' We Are The World, Puffy, Mary J. Blige, MC Light, Bill Bellamy, Too Short, and many more all came out to support hip-hop's latest phenom. She was that girl. In 1996, she released her second studio album, Another Tantrum, that didn't garner as much success as the first one. It went gold in 1997 and released two singles, Sitting on Top of the World and Ghetto Love, featuring TLC's T-Boz, which peaked at number 20 on the Billboard Hot 100. And to be honest with you, while writing this episode, I had to refresh my memory of both records. And to my surprise, my memory kicked right into action. I remember these records, and I love them. Yes, it wasn't received as well as her debut singles, and it made me wonder why. Because here I am, the biggest fan, and damn near a carbon copy walking around in these Detroit streets. So why is it hard for me to remember where I was when I first heard the second album? Then it clicked. Another Tantrum came out October of 1996, and Little Kim's Hardcore came out two weeks later in November. That's when the shift happened. Here I am, a younger teenager, exiting middle school and about to enter high school. My dad was adamant about me dressing more ladylike, so much so that he gave my mother money to take me shopping to buy women's clothing. I started to develop more, but you couldn't notice my curves under my extra large clothing. Once my mom traded my sneakers in for heels and baggy jeans in for tighter ones, I started seeing a change in how the boys were treating me. I started getting the stares, the compliments, and for the first time, I felt lusted for it. And I liked it. Because the boys were cuter in high school. I enjoyed the attention so much, I wanted more tight jeans, dresses. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. And heels. As this revelation was happening in my life, hip-hop was embracing a new starlet. The queen bee herself took the world by storm and showed us you can be hardcore and sexy at the same damn time. And just like my style shifted, so did my attention. And I went from wanting to be the brat to being Little Kim. And the industry responded the same way. I believe that explains the disconnect people had with the brand's second album. And it wasn't just because of Little Kim alone. You had fellow Brooklyn native Foxy Brown equally as sexy and equally as popular. Not to mention, both of these ladies were being co-signed by the biggest names in hip-hop, B.I.G. and Jay-Z. This stamp of approval only heightened their visibility, leaving the brat with a difficult decision. Convert or get left behind. And that takes us to her third album, Unrestricted, that came out four years later in 2000, leaving fans to wonder, what happened? Why the hiatus? Although I was riding a sexy wave with acts like him and Foxy, the Pratt was still my girl. And she kept herself present by being the remix queen, dropping hot verses on songs like Little Kim's Not Tonight, Mariah Carey's Always Be My Baby, Heartbreaker, and Loverboy, just to name a few. So she was prevalent and relevant. 
It's just her reign as queen was gone. Now with her return with her third studio album, Unrestricted, it's not hard to notice a change in her appearance. As a fan, I can't lie, I was disappointed. Not so much in her, but what I felt she was forced to do. Kind of like what I was forced to do in my household. The thing about hip-hop that I love will always be individuality. Having the confidence to be yourself and owning it. That's what attracted me to hip-hop, especially the brat. Yes, people have the right to change. I was changing too. And I looked to these women in hip-hop as guidance. I guess I put this unfair pressure on them to already know and have things figured out because I didn't. Like I said earlier, these ladies were my big sisters. And just like the two real life big sisters that I have, they are totally different. The oldest, Tamika, was more of a sweetheart and college educated. While the second oldest, Lakita, was a bit more of a wild card, sassier. But I loved and accepted them both equally. I guess that's what I wanted from the brat and little Kim. Be who you are and I accept you for who you are. So when the brat came wearing skin tight clothing and bikini tops in her video for the, the single What You Like featuring Tyrese, she lost me. She was unrecognizable. I didn't like it. I mean, I liked the record, but I didn't like what I was seeing. And it made me wonder, did she too get called those derogatory words that made her change? Was hip hop being cruel to her? Like how I felt my parents were being cruel to me? I so desperately wanted her to find her way back. During that time, rumors started circulating that she was dating NBA superstar Ellen Iverson. I thought, oh, okay, this is cool. But why is this making headlines? It felt forced. And as a fan, it made me feel uncomfortable because not only was her appearance changing, but also the subject matter in her songs, like her second single, That's What I'm Looking For where she's talking about wanting dudes with a big sack and braids to the back. Okay, Brad, we get it. You like boys. And apparently ones that look like AI with whom you're dating. Her career turned into more about her relationship status and over-sexualized lyrics. In all, Unrestricted was a success. It peaked to number one on the Billboard charts and became certified platinum in 2001. Three years later, in 2004, we get her fourth studio album. Limelight, Love, and Nightclubs that featured a huge parental advisory sticker that read, strong language and sexual content with a picture of her in a leather bustier with matching booty shorts. By this time, I totally checked out. Where was my girl? We had enough sexual content that we didn't need it from her. Hip hop will always need diversity and authenticity. I hated that she felt the pressure to conform. Men in hip-hop, I'm sure, aren't faced with the same dilemma to be and look like the next man. Four years later, while attending Jermaine Dupri's 72 nightclub in Atlanta, the brat got into a physical altercation that resulted in her hitting a woman upside the head with a liquor bottle. In 2008, she was sentenced to three years in jail, and since her release in 2011, the brat has stayed out of trouble, marking this year 10 years being released from prison. Since then, her career has taken a slight turn. You can find her rocking the mic as a radio personality on Dis Nation and as a reality TV star on WeTV's Growing Up Hip Hop. In March of 2020, the brat came out publicly as bisexual and said she always knew she was, but back in the 90s, it wasn't cool being gay. 
The bride is living her truth openly and proud with her fiance, entrepreneur Jessica, big booty Judy Dupart. And the two is currently starring in their own reality show called Brat Loves Judy. Brad told people that if I can inspire someone or help somebody deal with their issues and their sexuality, then I'm here for it. I'm glad that the brat is able to have her happy ending. She didn't give up and she found her way back. Baggy clothes, twist braids and all. And I've never been more of a fan than I am now. When I sit back and think about her career, it all makes sense. The brat was living in a space where being her authentic self was a constant struggle. And I wonder, because of that, was her running with the law her way of acting out because she didn't have the freedom to be her true self? Did she feel betrayed by her fans? Was it her decision to explore her femininity and appear sexier in her music videos? Or was it the pressure from the industry? I don't know. Those are the things I would love to ask her given the opportunity. All are unsure, but one thing is for certain and will always be a fact. The Brat is the first female rap solo act to go platinum and no one can take that away from her. No one. Thank you for listening to Woman in Hip Hop Podcast. I'm your host and creator, Jazzy Bell, checking out. I'll talk to you later. Bye. I created a space where we can celebrate the unsung and the undervalued. A place where we focus on the many talents and influences from women within the culture. It hopes to inspire women everywhere to overcome adversity in a male-dominated world. Welcome to Woman in Hip Hop. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.